for tuning in to another episode of the mTOR You Know podcast. My name is Erica Keenan, and I am the PGY2 solid organ transplant pharmacy resident at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin. I will be your host today, and I'm going to walk you through the 15-year follow-up of the TIC-TAC trial recently published in the Journal of Heart and Lung Transplantation. The name of the paper is Long-Term Follow-Up of Tacrolimus in Combination, Tacrolimus Alone, or TIC-TAC Trial, and it is authored by Varan and colleagues. I want to begin with a little bit of background on maintenance immunosuppression in the adult heart transplant population for our listeners who don't practice in this area. The International Society for Heart and Lung Transplantation, or ISHLT, published updated guidelines for the care of heart transplant recipients in December 2022 as an update to the original 2010 guideline, which included recommendations for immunosuppression. These guidelines recommend that all heart transplant recipients be maintained on a calcineurin inhibitor-based immunosuppressant regimen, preferably tacrolimus, and that the concomitant use of mycophenolate or mTOR inhibitors is suggested to provide better protection from rejection and cardiac allograft vasculopathy, or CAV. There have been various trials evaluating tacrolimus monotherapy versus dual therapy with other immunosuppressants in the heart transplant population, including the original TIC-TAC trial. The TIC-TAC trial was a prospective, open-label, randomized controlled trial that compared tacrolimus alone versus tacrolimus in combination with mycophenolate in adult heart transplant recipients. The TIC-TAC trial reported incidence of rejection, CAV, and survival over the course of three to five years. The results of the original TIC-TAC trial were published in 2011 and seemed to suggest that tacrolimus monotherapy was not worse than combination therapy in terms of rejection, CAV, or three-year survival. The long-term effect of tacrolimus monotherapy, however, remained unknown until now with the 15-year follow-up having just been published. With that, we are going to jump into this review. As previously mentioned, the TIC-TAC trial was a prospective randomized controlled trial that took place at two different transplant centers. Patients were eligible for inclusion if they were adult heart transplant recipients receiving their first transplant who were able to provide consent by post-operative day 14. Exclusion criteria included ventilator dependence through post-operative day 14, antibody-mediated rejection on or before post-operative day 14, and tacrolimus intolerance, which was not defined by the study group. With regards to immunosuppression, no patients received induction therapy. All patients received steroids at a dose of 0.6 milligrams per kilogram daily, prednisone equivalent, which was tapered weekly and eventually discontinued after the eight-week endomyocardial biopsy. All patients received mycophenolate mofetil for the first 14 days post-transplant with a gold dose of 1,000 milligrams twice daily. After post-operative day 14, patients were randomized to either a tacrolimus alone group and mycophenolate was therefore discontinued, or the combination group where mycophenolate was continued. Target tacrolimus levels were the same for both groups with a target level of 9 to 10 nanograms per deciliter until 3 months post-transplant, followed by a goal of 7 to 9, month 3 through month 6, and then 6 to 8 after 12 months. Crossover to the other group was permitted in the TIC-TAC trial. So patients in the tacrolimus monotherapy group could restart mycophenolate in the setting of recurrent rejection, and patients in the combination group could discontinue mycophenolate in the setting of gastrointestinal toxicity or leukopenia that was not responsive to dose decreases. 
In terms of monitoring, CAV surveillance was performed via coronary angiography yearly for the first five years post-transplant, then biannually thereafter. Intravascular ultrasound was also routinely performed for the first five years when feasible. Patients also underwent endomyocardial biopsies weekly for the first six weeks post-transplant, then twice monthly, and then every three months starting six months post-transplant. The primary endpoint of the follow-up TIC-TAC trial was all-cause mortality. Secondary endpoints included incidence of CAV and incidence of end-stage renal disease, or ESRD. A total of 150 patients were enrolled in the TIC-TAC trial, 79 in the monotherapy group and 71 in the combination group. Baseline characteristics were overall similar between the two groups. Crossover occurred in 10.1% of the monotherapy group and 29.6% of the combination therapy group, with most crossover events occurring within three to six months post-transplant. We're going to start off with reviewing our primary endpoint, all-cause mortality, which was reported as just patient survival. Patient survival was reported at 5, 10, and 15 years post-transplant. The five-year survival rate was reported as 84.5% in the monotherapy group, compared to 94.4% in the combination group. The 10-year survival rate was 66.9%, compared to 78.2%, and the 15-year survival rate was 52.7% compared to 56.1%. These differences in survival rate were not statistically significant with a reported p-value for the Kaplan-Meier curve of 0.19. The survival of patients was similar in those who went from combination therapy to monotherapy compared to those who did not cross over. Patients who required crossover from monotherapy to combination therapy appeared to have a non-significant trend to a lower survival compared to patients who stayed in the combination therapy group. This is not all that surprising given that the indication for crossing over from monotherapy to combination therapy was the incidence of recurrent rejection. Moving on to our secondary endpoints, we'll start with CAV. Freedom from CAV was reported at 1, 5, 10, and 15 years post-transplant. All patients in both groups were free from CAV at one year post-transplant. The five-year rates of freedom from CAV were reported as 87.5% in the monotherapy group compared to 76.9% in the combination therapy group. The 10-year freedom from CAV rate was 69.3% compared to 68.1%, and the 15-year freedom from CAV rate was 46.5% compared to 54.4%. These differences in rate of freedom from CAV were not statistically significant, with a reported p-value for the Kaplan-Meier curve of 0.96. Similar to our primary endpoint, crossover treatment did not alter CAV findings. Now moving on to ESRD. Renal function did not appear to differ between the two groups based on serum creatinine and estimated glomerular filtration rate. A total of 21.5% of the patients in the monotherapy group developed ESRD requiring chronic renal replacement compared to 14.1% of patients in the combination therapy group. This finding was not statistically significant. The rate of freedom from dialysis was reported at 5, 10, and 15 years post-transplant. 
The five-year rate of freedom from dialysis was 92.8% in the monotherapy group compared to 100% in the combination therapy group. The 10-year rate of freedom from dialysis was 84.2% compared to 93.4%. And the 15-year rate of freedom from dialysis was 68.4% compared to 82.3%. These findings were not statistically significant with a reported p-value of 0.15 for the Kaplan-Meier curve. The authors concluded that the patients who received tacrolimus monotherapy can expect to have similar outcomes to those who received dual therapy with mycophenolate. So what does this mean for the landscape of immunosuppression in our heart transplant population? Honestly, I think we're all still trying to figure that out. There are a lot of variables that aren't accounted for in this paper that might affect these outcomes that were reported. For example, as with most transplant literature, we don't have any information about whether or not tacrolimus levels were within goal for these patients throughout the study period, which certainly could have an effect on rejection and development of CAV. Additionally, we were not privy to the CAV prophylaxis strategy employed by the centers at which this trial was performed. Inadequate prevention of CAV and poor management of comorbid conditions such as diabetes may further skew our results. The evaluation of other outcomes, such as incidence of both early and late rejection, infection rates, particularly cytomegalovirus, and incidence of malignancy may help us further evaluate if tacrolimus monotherapy is really something we should be aggressively aiming for in certain subsets of patients. Additionally, we don't have evidence that compares tacrolimus monotherapy versus combination therapy with an MDOR inhibitor, which may be more useful in this new clinical landscape. The lack of reporting on the aforementioned endpoints further illustrates that there is so much we still don't know about tacrolimus monotherapy. In summary, this 15-year follow-up of the TIC-TAC trial might not be enough to suggest all of our patients be switched to tacrolimus monotherapy. However, it does give us some comfort for our patients who are maybe low risk for rejection that cannot tolerate mycophenolate or the initiation of an mTOR inhibitor. Before I switch gears to review my clinical pearl for the year, I want to give a shout out to our heart transplant clinic pharmacist, Olivia Huber, for working through this article with me. All right, so moving on now to my clinical pearl for this past year. Something that I've really taken away this year was the ideal management of the posaconazole to chromis drug interaction. As you all know, CYP3A4 and P-glycoprotein inhibition by posaconazole results in significantly decreased metabolism of tacrolimus. Drug labeling provides recommendations for an empiric tacrolimus dose decrease of 66% when initiating posaconazole, and studies within the solid organ transplant population support this 50-66% to 66% dose reduction. However, there is no published guidance to suggest how we should be adjusting the tacrolimus dose when posaconazole is discontinued. This year, a pharmacist-led posaconazole monitoring program was recently developed at our institution in response to multiple incidents of subtherapeutic tacrolimus levels after discontinuation of antifungal prophylaxis post-transplant. These incidents led to a student project completed by one of our P4s that retrospectively reviewed incidents of acute cellular rejection in this antifungal discontinuation period in our heart transplant recipients. And they also reported an average tacrolimus dose increase that was needed to get these patients back to their goal. This project served as the basis for our posaconazole monitoring program. 
The program is led by our ambulatory heart and lung transplant pharmacists and allows for closer monitoring of immunosuppression during and after the time posaconazole is discontinued to ensure appropriate adjustments are made. Early observations within our posaconazole monitoring program have suggested that empiric tacrolimus dose adjustments between 200 and 300% are necessary and should be made within 48 to 72 hours of posaconazole discontinuation to assure parents were patients remain therapeutic. We have also noticed that further aggressive dose adjustments may be necessary in the first one to two weeks after the empiric dose adjustment has been made, even if the level obtained is within goal. We have also focused on ensuring repeat tacrolimus levels are collected three to five days after that empiric dose adjustment to provide for the most accurate representation of levels as posaconazole washes out. We hope that this intensive protocol will lead to improved outcomes in our cardiothoracic transplant recipients and look forward to publishing, hopefully, our results. That concludes our mTOR You Know podcast for today. Thanks for tuning in.